0: Heavenly Father, we want to have ears to hear this morning what your Son said to the disciples and those standing on the beaches of Galilee so long ago. We want to come into your presence right now and by the Holy Spirit, see Christ clearly. Father, I ask that you would forgive us for the distractions that cause us to not hear you speak. Let us heed our Lord's warning. Each and every one of us who has ears, let us hear our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this morning by your grace and mercy. You are worthy of all of our praise. You alone, Father, are the one who granted grace through the cross to redeem a sinful people like us. You are the one who brought us into a community like this, that we might gather on a Sunday like this and worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray, Father, that you would be gracious with us now as we open up your word and hear your son speak a parable that is truly timeless. As he spoke to the disciples and those who gathered on the beaches of Galilee, and speak it to us now. I pray we would hear and respond correctly. We ask that you would do this great work for your own glory. We know, Father, there are many a churches today who will not hear your word. Let it be heard here today. Let a sinner like me preach it faithfully, that we might be transformed into your image. We cannot do this on our own. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do that great work in our hearts right now. Create in us a heart that longs for Christ above all else. A people, Lord, that do shine like a brilliant light in this dark place. We pray that you would do this, of course, for your own glory. That you would magnify your name in this church and all your true churches here in the South Bay. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 13. If you do not have your Bible open there, please do so. And if you heard uh, the reading, do not be afraid. We're not doing this entire parable. Um, I started to do it like that, but there was no way. There's so much here, and so we're gonna we'll take a couple bites here and there. We'll probably wrap it up next next Sunday. Um, the title of the par the title of the sermon is Wheat and Weeds. And uh, Jesus starts off with a very famous, his iconic phrase. When teaching parables, he said the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, or some of your translations say the kingdom of heaven is like, and that sounds like the introduction to a good story, and that's because it is. Remember, we we talked last week, parables are stories, and we want to hear them as such. The parable is going to shine light into a much bigger story, a greater reality, and that is God's kingdom itself. When the boys were young, Almost every night, I would, I would lie with them in bed, and I would tell them stories. They were made-up stories, um, and they had all kinds of characters, kings and castles and dragons, and usually someone or a group of people that needed to be rescued tried to have the gospel in those stories. And even though they were make-believe, in each story, there were deeper principles. There were gospel principles of righteousness and justice and grace and honor and salvation. Jesus is doing the same for us. He gathers us here this morning and he wants to tell us a story that we might see and understand his father's kingdom better. The creation, fall, redemption, restoration story that he ushered in when he came to earth the first time. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, after John the Baptist had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel. Listen to what he said. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He said, turn from your sins, put your faith in me, because God's story is real and it's already in motion. We're picking it up midstream in our own lives here in the 21st century. We must hear this story, we must understand the story, in the context of the gospel, because all who repent and believe will have eternal life, and all who reject will have eternal death. And so this is a story that we want to hear with all of our ears and understand with all of our minds and believe with all of our hearts, because this story has to do with eternal life and eternal death. The parables, far from being unrelated, are all tied together. And what Jesus wants to do is He places these parables one after the other. He wants the kingdom to open up for us. The window's going to get bigger. The shade's going to go up, and you're going to see God more clearly. His character and nature, the sinfulness of man, Christ as the Redeemer, and the hope we have of everlasting life with Him. Last week, if you were here, we had a chance to look at the parable of the sower and the seeds. And that parable focused on how mankind receives the gospel in his heart different soils. He builds upon that now with this parable, the parable of the weeds. And he wants to give us an understanding of the state of the world right now in light of the reception or the rejection of the gospel from the parable of the soils and the seeds. And so we'll get to see that this morning by God's grace. Jesus tells us this parable. He told it to the disciples. He told it to all those that were standing on the shore listening to the teachings, and he wants to tell it to us today because whether you believe it or not, you are part of the story, saved or unsaved. Every single person in this sanctuary this morning is part of God's story. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9, he divides all mankind into two categories, vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. Jesus talks of the sons of God and the sons of the devil. Why? Because every person comes into God's story as one, or two, one of two parts, either saved or unsaved, either children of light or children of darkness. And that means every person has a part in the story and every person has a particular end pending upon their part. And based upon your understanding of the gospel of grace, And based upon your relationship with Jesus Christ, your end will either be glory with God and eternal life, or it will be condemnation and judgment in the eternal lake of fire. That's truth. This is God's eternal story. And so it is contingent upon you hearing, understanding, and believing the gospel that you might have eternal life. So if you came in here a little tired, and you had a long week, and you're going to have trouble listening, I would urge you lovingly to listen with all your might because this is not just a nice bedtime story about kings and castles and dragons before our children go to sleep. This is the story, and we must hear it lest we suffer an eternal fate that is beyond description. So this morning I want to look at the parable of the weeds, and I want to look at it in the context of what happened in the past to bring about a world that is filled with such good and evil. What happened? And then I want to ask the question, what are we supposed to do with that now? How are we to live now? So we'll look at the parable in the context of the past and where we are. And then next week, Lord willing, if he gives us another week of life, we're going to come back and we'll see the end of the parable, which is the consummation. And so in in God's creation, fall, redemption, consummation story, we're going to look at the the creation and the fall today, and we're going to look at the end next week, assuming that we are here. So let us look at the state of the world and ask how we're to be a part of it by asking and looking at three things. One, who is this good sower? Who is he? Number two, who is the evil sower? And number three, how are we supposed to live together? The good sower, the evil sower, and our growing together, weeds and wheat. Number one, the good sower, I pray you're with me. Look at the latter part of verse 24. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Now look at verse 37. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. So last week, if you were here and we did the the parable of the sower and the seed, the good seed was the gospel message. That's not the good seed here, so we're going to have to be very careful not to commingle these teachings. In this parable, the good seed is you. The good seed is all those born again, every single professing believer in Christ. And it says here in this parable that every believer is placed in the world by the Son, Jesus Christ, and becomes a son of the King's kingdom. And this revelation is extraordinary on multiple counts. I want us to just catch a few. First, I want you to understand that Jesus Christ is the sower. He's the sower in the parable. He is the Son of Man. It was his favorite identification for himself, the Son of Man. And he's drawing that from Daniel chapter 7, when Daniel gave us a picture of this messianic king who would come and rule over the heavens and the earth, Daniel 7.13. In my vision at night, Daniel said, I looked and there before me was one like what? A son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And so Jesus is identifying himself here as the ruler of the universe, as the sovereign king over the heavens and the earth. It was all made by him. It all belongs to him. And it is all governed by him for the glory of his father. And that means, my beloved, that every single part of human history, every phase of human history, Christ has been, is, and will always be Lord of Lord and King of kings. He's never been supplanted. He's never been replaced. He never has been, and he never will be. He has always ruled over human history as King and as Lord. And in every phase of human history, he has governed his people, he's governed the earth through church going all the way back to the garden the first governor was adam then he ruled through the patriarchs abraham isaac and jacob and then through the kings of israel and judah and then through the priests and the prophets culminating in who in the son of man in jesus christ incarnate do you remember when we were studying the gospel of john in chapter 12 and jesus is entering the city the triumphant week the week of passion Remember what the people were saying as he was entering the city? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even who, the King of Israel. And Jesus doesn't say a word. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't tell them to stop making these statements. Why? Because they are true. He is King. He is eternal King. King over the universe. King over his people. And if you are a Christ follower, now listen, this is where your part comes in. If you're a Christ follower, Not only did this king, the son of man, plant you here, but he planted you here for the purpose of ruling over this earth. You have a job to do. Now, the disciples, they got this far better than we, and that's why they kept asking questions. They understood from the Old Testament teachings that when Jesus comes, when the Messiah would come, he would judge the earth, he would condemn evil and all evildoers, and he would fill the earth with his righteousness. They had an expectation not only of Christ ruling, but of their ruling with him. You remember what James and John asked in Mark chapter 10, don't you? Mark 10, 37. They said, let one of us sit on your right and let the other sit on your left in glory. Jesus, we know you've come. We know you're going to rule You're king. Let us be with you. We want to rule with you. They had this understanding because that was what, taught, what was taught in the Old Testament. Even after our Lord had been raised and spent 40 days with the disciples and over 500 people, they asked him in Acts 1.6, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Lord, is it this time that we're going to rule with you here on earth, you as king, we as your court? They expected all the glorious promises of the Old Testament to come true. They expected Christ to fulfill heaven coming to earth judgment of the living and the dead, of all evil and all injustice being disbanded. They expected Jesus to reign unchallenged, perfect on the throne as Christ the King in a kingdom of righteousness and virtue and peace and holiness and joy. But had they listened to this parable, they wouldn't have asked the question in Acts chapter 1, Had they understood the teachings of this particular parable, they would have understood that Christ came the first time and he was going to come a second time. And when he comes a second time in all the glory of the Father, then all the Old Testament prophecies of destroying all evil and all evildoers, of establishing his reign here on earth, of judging the living and the dead, and all the righteousness and joy being here, that will come true, but not yet. Right now. We are in the church age. Right now, we're between his first coming and his second coming. And this is the teaching of this parable. This is what he needed the disciples to understand. Because until he comes again in glory the second time, there's work for us to do. There's governing for us to do. And when I say us, I mean we, his church, his people. We are in a time when both the saved and the unsaved will cohabitate The wheat and the weeds will live together here on earth. And God intends through Christ and the church to rule the earth right now. So the parable describes this and it describes your participation in it. Look with me at verse 38. Did you notice that he calls them sons of the kingdom? All the seeds that were planted by this sower, who we know to be the son of man, are now sons of the kingdom. He does not identify his people as citizens here, as members of the kingdom, as subjects of the kingdom. All those would be appropriate, but not here. He doesn't even call us children here. He calls us sons because that term in the scriptures is attached to legal rights. You have legal rights as a son or daughter of the kingdom. And in particular, we're sons of the kingdom. And that means you have what? You have an inheritance. You have an inheritance. Now, when I say that word, we immediately think, God has something really good for me in the future. And that's true, but that's not what he's saying here. We are sons of the kingdom because we have an inheritance of the kingdom. Future tense, yes. 2 Timothy 2, here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, what? What? We will also reign with him. So that's a future promise. But we also have the expectation and promise that we are to rule right now. Revelation chapter 5, verse 10. You have made past tense, you have made them, God's church, to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. So, how are we doing in our reigning? How are we doing in exercising our authority as sons and daughters of the King right now? This is not a hypothetical. If you are a son or daughter of Jesus Christ, it is part of your blessing and responsibility to govern well this earth, to govern well the community in which you live, to govern well your family, to govern well this church. We are not to rule, as some religions do, with a heavy hand. This is not a battle cry to take up your physical arms and go out and fight those who do not know Christ. Far from it. We are to rule on the earth as servants. We are to rule as servants of our king by doing what? By helping others glorify God. At its most base level, we are to exercise the authority of the gospel. By encouraging others, teaching others, praying for others to glorify God in Jesus Christ. Think about it. In the very end, Philippians 2.11 says what? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's the end game. When all is said and done, when Christ takes care of everything, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess without exception. Now, if that's true, my beloved, if that's the end, Then we exercise our authority well now to the degree that we, in our own lives, bring Him honor and glory. We exercise our authority now. We govern well now to the degree that we look around us. For the unsaved, how will they glorify God? Well, they must hear the gospel, repent, and believe. What about our brothers and sisters in Christ? They must grow in their love and wisdom of Christ. And so we can exercise our authority by sharing the gospel. We exercise our authority by making disciples. We exercise our authority by extending the love and grace of Jesus Christ to everyone in our life. So if we are exercising this, the people will know that we are His. That means every time you extend forgiveness... When your situation merits vengeance, you're exercising the authority of God. Every time you serve when you want to be and maybe should be served, you're exercising authority. Every single time you show grace when you should be angry, every time you care for the sick and the downcast, every time you mend the wounds of those who are hurting, you are exercising your authority as a son or daughter of the kingdom of Jesus Christ and so we are to rule and we are to govern but in such a different way Jesus Christ the king of kings and lord of lords always has been always will be he came and said what I did not come to be served but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many and that is our model of service and that is the authority given and what power there is in that my beloved you want to rule this earth you want to exercise the authority of God Love like God, minister like God, sacrifice like Jesus Christ. Be to one another as Christ is to you and you will exercise great power in this dark place. So we see the world is made up of good seed, sons and daughters of God, put in this world by the Son of Man, the King Jesus Christ, to exercise His authority to love in the gospel. But if Christ is the sower and he's sown good seeds, you have to ask, where did all the evil come from? How did all these bad seeds get in? Because when I look upon the world, and I look upon the church, and I look upon my own heart, there's evil there. Where does that come from? Point number two, I pray you're still with me. The evil sower. Look at verse 25. The disciples wanted to know, too, how this happened, where this mess came from. Verse 25, but while his men were sleeping, that's our Lord's men, his enemy came and sowed weeds amongst the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the seeds appeared also. The weeds, I'm sorry, verse 38 now, 38 P. B. latter part, the weeds are the sons of the evil one. Verse 39, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. God... Is not the author of sin. God is not the author of evil. It is so imperative that we understand this parable that we might see things clearly when we see the evil in the world. Evil, all pain, all suffering, all misery in the human condition, all rebellion against God, all inordinate desires, every single evil we see in the world and in ourselves was not and is not from God, but proceeds from, this parable teaches, the evil one. And I know that we're a little weird in reform circles not talking about Satan as much as we should, but this parable teaches something that we need to see. Satan is the enemy who sowed among. Look at that with me. He sowed among, verse 25. You can also read that. He planted over the good seed, We see that in the, in the creation account, don't we? I mean, God in six days created the heavens and the earth, and at the end of the sixth day, he said, What? It is good. It is good. There's no sin, there's no evil, there's no depravity of any kind. But then someone came along and sowed over that good seed. That someone we know from this parable is Satan himself, sowing seeds of deception over the good seed of God. And what was the result of that? It's sin and death in the condition in the heart of every man, woman, and child ever born. Satan brought the seeds of sin and death into God's good creation. He is the origin of evil. He is the father of lies. So when people ask this profound question, and it's amazing to me in the context of evangelical churches, where did evil come from? It says right here, it proceeds from Satan. You say, well, why is there so much in my heart? Why is there so much in the world? Because we were deceived by Satan, and the world is held by his power. How evil is this? The weed that Jesus is re- references in this parable is called darnell. And maybe some of you actually have that in your translations. It is a weedy, rye grass that has poisonous black seeds. It is a wicked weed, according to the agricultural experts. It would usually sprout before the wheat, So it would bloom first, and as a result, it would crowd out the wheat and stifle the crop. The agricultural folks said it was so bad and so difficult to eradicate that under Roman law, it was a violation to sow this seed in someone else's field because it would damage their crops and obviously damage their livelihood. Satan, God's enemy, has been, is, and will continue to sow until Christ returns, sons of perdition. That's what the weeds are in this parable, sons of Satan, to destroy God's sinless creation, to bring harm to God's people, the church, and above all else, to defame the name of Jesus Christ and the gospel of grace. So the question is, well, who are these people? I mean, we don't have tattoos saying, I am a child of the devil. Well, some might, but most people don't. Most don't have signs saying that I'm a weed and I'm a wheat. So who are these people? Most of the time when we think of, when we hear a phrase like sons of the devil, we have certain people that come to mind. You'll think, well, hell's angels must be sons of the devil just by their name. Some of you think, no, it must be all, you know, the the serial killers or those who were members of the Third Reich or the, the brutal totalitarianistic dictators over the centuries. According to the Bible, now listen, I think this is a very difficult teaching for us, but if we're to understand the parable and our life now, we must get this. According to the Bible, everyone who has not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ is the son of the devil. Everyone who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, is still a weed. Everyone who does not realize they are a weed and needs to be transformed into wheat by trusting and putting all their faith in Christ to save them remains a child of the devil. Some of you raised in the church, when you hear that term, you think, oh, Jesus is talking about all the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious rulers because that's what he called them. John 8, 44, he said to them, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. But this parable makes it black and white that it is black and white. There are two seeds. There are two sons in all mankind, good seed and bad seed, sons of the kingdom and sons of the devil. There is no third seed. There is no third category of any kind. It's one or the other. John makes this same distinction in 1 John chapter 3 when he said, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. It's not a tattoo. It's not a sign. Listen, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Those are very practical ways to evaluate whether or not we are sons in the kingdom or sons of the evil one. Now, we all know that the children of the devil express their father's attributes in very different ways. I mean, culturally, I imagine most of you would say that a serial rapist is more a son of the devil than the homeschool mom who was raised an agnostic. You would make that relative comparison. But the condition of their heart is the same. If you're a son of God, your heart has been changed. If you're a son of the devil, it remains the same. The characteristics Paul described quite well in Galatians chapter 5. You don't have to be a serial killer or a serial rapist. Galatians 5.19, here are the characteristics of Satan and his children. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these are the characteristics of those in this category. Satan, like Jesus, according to this parable, has sown his people throughout the entire world, has been since the fall. He has sown and continued to sow them so much so that there are certain parts of the world where there is no gospel witness Certain parts of the world, there's no church, there's no Bible, there's no pastor, and there's no missionary, and these people are subject to their master, Satan, and that should break our hearts. That is a true statement. This parable verifies that, and therefore we need to be praying, and we need to be sending, and maybe we need to be going ourselves, that those people who are trapped in the darkness might see a great light, and repent, and believe, and be saved. And where there is a gospel testimony, look at verse 25. Satan likes to sow them among the wheat. Where would that be? Where is the wheat? In the church, in our schools, in our homes, in the neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in political structures, in business environments. So God's good seed, the sons of the kingdom, and Satan's bad seed, the sons of the evil one, are commingled. And I cannot overemphasize how important this is for you to understand that. We cohabitate this earth. Sons of the kingdom and sons of Satan. The good seeds and the bad seeds during this church age will grow together. It has been like that since the fall. And according to the word of God, it will be like that until Christ comes again in glory. This is, my beloved One of the secrets of the mystery of the kingdom of God. Remember two weeks ago we talked about that? What are these secrets? What are these mysteries? Being able to understand how good started in God, how evil came into being through Satan, and how we are right now. This is a secret. Most of the world does not believe this or understand it. And if you do, how glorious that is, because that's been revealed to you by your heavenly Father. If you do not understand the condition, the state of the world, Then you'll be subject to a lie, and you will be deceived. Look at verse 27. The servants of the master of the house came, and they said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And then Jesus said, verse 28, an enemy has done this. So a wealthy landowner, a wealthy master, would have had many servants, and they knew how to work the fields. And so they would have looked upon the field and they would have seen the Darnell starting to grow up and they would have been surprised saying, what happened? The soil was good, we tilled it right, we planted good seed, but how did the weeds get in? And their first conclusion would have likely have been a contaminated seed bag that some weeds got in with the good seed when it was sown. And we cannot believe that for a minute because that attributes evil to God. That when God made the heavens and the earth he sowed evil into it, that he is the author of it. parable doesn't say that. The servants are wrong in their deduction. Jesus says, oh no, this was not bad seed. This was a result of my enemy. After the good seed was sown, after creation it was made sinless, then the evil one came in and he was the one who sowed the bad seed. So when you hear theories and philosophies and even religions on good and evil, and you hear people attributing evil to God, this parable says that is a lie. When you hear in this culture people telling us the problem is behavior and not the heart, and therefore they advocate for more social programs and professional counseling and more money to education, you know that that story is a lie. When your philosophy teacher starts teaching you about Rousseau, and talks to you about the tabula rasa and the blank slate, and that we all come into this world neither good nor evil, just malleable, you will know that that story is a lie according to this parable. When your biology teacher tells you there's no such thing as good or evil, because all life is here by chance and dies by chance, you are a product of random point mutation, matter plus energy plus time, when they tell you that story, you'll know that story is a lie because of this parable. Or when you hear pastors in churches refusing to preach the full gospel and the full counsel of God, God's holiness and man's sin and the need for Christ to be saved, when you hear pastors tickling ears and telling everyone how good they are and how much they deserve to be in God's kingdom, you will know in that church that is a lie according to this parable. Jesus Christ sowed the good seed. Satan came along and sowed the bad seed. And that is the state of the world right now. You must refuse to embrace these lies about the, about the human condition in order to know the truth because without this you will be confused and you will be frustrated unable to understand or explain your daily existence why so much evil in your own heart unable to look upon the world and understand why so much chaos why the bloodshed why the hatred and the jealousy and the envy and the strife it won't make any sense to you worse yet you'll have no answer you'll have no answer for yourself worse yet you'll have no answer for those who are looking for it. You will become the enemy that you hate. So God sows the good seed, Satan sows the bad seed, and in this truth, there is hope. Last point, I pray you're still with me, our growth together. Even though all mankind falls into a binary distinction of dead or alive, good seed, bad seed, children of God, children of Satan, even though that is true, it is not fixed. The condition in the state of the world is dynamic and it is fluid, and we know that. Why? Because every single, every single person who started off as a son of the devil, every single one of us started off as wheat, as weeds. We were made that way because of our grandparents Adam and Eve came into the world. We are that way because we choose willfully to sin. But we know, that according to this parable, that we don't have to stay that way. That we see, even here this morning, for those of you who know Christ, you were once a sinful, rebellious, God-rejecting weed that God redeemed and made you a beautiful piece of wheat. And therefore, this is, is not fixed. This is not determined that you cannot know Christ and become a piece of wheat. Look at verse 28 again. latter part. I want to show you where I get this. So the servant said to him, then they see the condition. The weeds are sown in with the wheat. Then do you want us to go and gather them? Gather the wheat. Gather the weeds. And Jesus said in verse 29, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Now jump to the very end of verse 39. And he says, the harvest is the end of the age. Probably one of the most profound pieces of this entire passage, which we'll look at in more detail next week. As the weeds were growing in the field, the servants were looking out and they said, wait a minute, we got a problem. There are weeds amongst that wheat. And as they matured, the darnel would actually tur- start to turn gray. Early on, they were hard to distinguish But as they grew, they could tell that that was not wheat, that was a weed. And so as they turned gray, the servants offered to their masters their services. Do you want us to go gather the weeds? Do you want us to cut them down and throw them into the fire? The disciples had similar thoughts in how they were going to govern over the world. Believers throughout church history have been ready to take the sickle upon the world and cut down all the weeds that we know of. I know how they feel, and I say to you shamefully, there are times, my beloved, but I am so wearied by evil, in my own heart, deception that I see in God's good creation, so overcome at times with the pride and self-centeredness I see in God's own church, so overwhelmed at times with the hatred the world has for God and His Son, that my heart wants God to come and judge now. I want God to come and bring judgment. I feel like James and John in Luke 9. Remember what happened in Luke 9? Christ was approaching a Samaritan village, and the Samaritans did not want to receive him. And so James and John come up with a great idea. They say in Luke 9, 54, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? That's a good gospel response. Sometimes I want God to come and do that too, right now. I want Him to wipe out evil and rebellion forever. And then, as He did James and John, He rebukes me. He rebukes me. Look at verse 29, please. His answer is a missional answer. They said, you want us to go out and take care of it, Lord? We'll get rid of the weeds. He says, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them, and then at the very end of thirty-nine again, the harvest is the end of the age. This is such a missional response. Our Lord was wise enough to know that if we if we take up arms and we go outside of the walls of this church and we go hunt down the weeds, we find them, we persecute them, maybe even put them to death. That that will destroy the church. That will not edify us in the gospel of grace. He understood that it would be damaging to us to exercise a premature premature judgment process. And so what does He do? He reminds the disciples and He reminds the church throughout the ages that our mission is a mission of salvation. It is a rescue mission, not a mission of judgment, not in the church age. Verse 39, the harvest is when... The harvest is at the end of the age. Judgment is at the end of the age. It will come, and it will, and we'll look at that next week. The judgment will come, and we will participate in that. But right now, during the church age, the answer is not yet. Judgment not yet, Lord. Now is a time for grace. Now is a time for the gospel. Now is the time for us to go out to the weeds and share with them Jesus Christ, that they might become beautiful wheat and come into the community of believers. Some of the darkest stains in church history have come under this banner of judgment, cutting down the weeds in advance. God did not call us to that. We are not to rip out the weeds Even the Apostle Paul, when talking about the responsibility of the church to judge one another inside the church, what did he say in 1 Corinthians 5? Such a telling verse in light of this parable. Paul said, what business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? The answer is none. Judge those inside the church, yes. Outside, no. No. More importantly than the Apostle's perspective was our Lord's perspective. When Jesus came, he came as king. He's always been king. He came as judge. He's always been judged. But how did he come? How did Jesus relate to the weeds? How did Jesus approach the prostitutes and the tax collectors? How did he approach the liars and the adulterers? Did he arrest them? Did he condemn them? Did he judge them? Did he bind them in the middle of the night and take them before the magistrate and say, I know these are weeds? And if anybody could have done that, it would have been Christ because he did know the hearts of men. Now, what did he do? He dined with them. He healed them. He comforted them when they were sick. He counseled them when they were confused. One of my favorite verses, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. We're told that when Jesus looked upon the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's how the king and the judge related to the weeds in this world. He he approached them with meekness and with kindness. He offered them salvation through the cross. He begged them to repent and believe that they might have life. that They might have eternal life. That they might be transformed from a weed to a wheat, from a son of the devil to a son of the kingdom. He was patient with them. He was gracious with them. He longed for them to come. He knew that the harvest would come. He's the one who will bring it. He's the glorious king that will return and redeem his bride and make things right. But he says to us, as he said to the disciples, not yet. Not yet. This is not the time. We are a very judgmental people, my beloved. The church is a very judgmental people today. We're quick to sit in these walls and look upon the culture and say, oh, how bad, oh, how evil, oh, how wicked. How can you not know? That is not the gospel response. We are to go out and we are to engage, but we are to engage with the love and mercy the gospel brings to Christ. Too much judging, too much judging. So if we're not to go out and pull up the weeds, put your sickles down, what are the servants of God to do? You're to exercise your authority as a son or daughter of the kingdom of Christ. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's the Lord of lords and the kings of kings. And if you are in Christ, then you are a son or daughter of that king. You have authority. You are to take up your spiritual arms. You are to arm yourself with the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you are to engage these weeds. But not with a weed whacker, not to cut them down and not to eradicate them, but to redeem them. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Here's your answer, and we'll close. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You are authorized and you are expected by your King to go out and do this, to make disciples of all nations, to teach them all that Jesus commanded. That means you want to fight? I'm thankful for that. I pray you do. We are in a war. So when we leave this building today, when you go back home or to the workplace or your neighborhood this afternoon, go back and fight the right fight. Stop judging and stop condemning and bring the gospel that these weeds might live. We are to share the gospel of Jesus Christ that they might have hope. We are to tell them there's a Savior that died for their sins. They don't have to remain children of the devil. They don't have to remain Darnell and turn gray and die and produce no fruit. That does not have to be their end. They can repent. They can believe. They can turn from their sins and they can turn to Christ and put all their hope in this Son of Man to save them in the end. We want to display, my beloved, a love of Christ that is so brilliant, a salt that is so salty, and a light that is so fantastic that when we come into contact with the weeds, they are changed. They're changed by you. They're changed by your love. They're changed by your disposition because it is unworldly. They're changed by your hope because they don't know anybody else who has hope like you they are radically transformed by your joy because you ooze it. When you're in pain, when you're suffering, when you're down, you ooze joy because your delight is in Christ. We want to engage this world and evangelize this world that they might see the good work in us that Christ is doing and glorify our Father in heaven. So I'll I'll close by asking some questions. Are you exercising your kingdom authority? Are you? You're a son or daughter of a king. You have work to do. You have a job to do. Are you governing well your mission field? All those in your midst, wheat and weeds, are you governing them well? Do you see everyone without exception, remember only two roles in this story, Do you see everyone in your mission field as, one, someone who needs to know Christ, or, two, someone who needs to grow in Christ? Either way, there's work to do. With those who do not know Christ, we tell them about Christ. With those who know Christ need to grow, we disciple them in Christ. Are you exercising your authority in that way? Are you asking yourself daily, who can I disciple today? Who can I engage today? Who can I evangelize today? Who can I encourage today? Who can I rebuke today? Who can I help, saved or unsaved, take one step closer to Jesus Christ? Who is that? Who is that? Are you praying for them? Are you witnessing to them? Are you serving them? Are you teaching them? Jesus, through his incarnation, became a man to dwell amongst us, that he might have that personal transformative power in our lives. We cannot govern well from afar. Christ came from heaven to earth to bring salvation to man. We cannot minister well from afar. That means we must be incarnate to, in this church, in our lives, in this world, We must see the weeds, and by God's grace, we must help them become wheat. My beloved, this parable is so deep, I just scratched it. We'll come back next Sunday by God's grace, and we're going to look at how it all ends. We have a picture of the past. We know how the good seed got here. We know how the bad seed got here. We know our current state and what we're supposed to do, but what's the end look like? Because with that firmly in our hand, I believe we will run out of these doors and we will do the very thing that we're called to do to make disciples and teach people to obey Christ in love. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we are so thankful you sent Christ to dwell amongst us. He came to commune with the weeds, to die for the weeds. And in our redeemed states, Lord, you've sent us out to be incarnate too. It is your desire for us in our homes, in the church, and in this world to bring the same hope of salvation that Jesus brought 2,000 years ago to all those in our mission field. Forgive us, Father, for believing too many lies. Forgive us, I pray you would, for not being a people that understand the magnitude of this story, the stakes that are involved. We're talking about real people with real families, real children and real parents that are destined either for heaven or for hell based upon their relationship with your son. Oh, Father, make that more real to us, I pray. Help us to see even this day that our lives and those around us will meet a particular end based upon their relationship with your Son, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. I pray you would help us, Lord, to glorify in the good seed that you have sown. I pray, pray Lord, you would help us to fight rightly against the evil seed that has been sown and that you would, you'd be blessed to use this church to be a brilliant light in this community that San Jose would know Cambrian Park Baptist Church by our love. They would see the mercy and the hope and the joy, and they would be captivated by it. Lord, let those doors open up and bring in the multitudes that they might repent and believe and be saved too. We don't want to provide a meager offering. We want, Father, our produce to grow 30, 60, 100 fold. We know that you must do that work through us if it is to happen, and so we ask that you would. I pray, Father, you would bless my brothers and sisters with a deeper understanding of the love that Christ has for them, of the great work that he accomplished, that they might hear and understand these truths, that they could hear a parable and not be confused. And then in hearing this parable, Lord, that they would be compelled to live the life you've called them to live, to govern well, to rule well. Bless us as sons and daughters to that end. For your glory, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.